to Jesus. Now, we're focusing on the Lord's Sermon on the Mount as given in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. In the sermon, Jesus looks at his new followers. He had just launched his public ministry, and people are already starting to gather. And he says, I'm about to teach you some life principles. And so he starts with the Beatitudes. And then uh, he, whether or not we ever see God, he, he explains that that will be determined by what we allow into our hearts. How many of you want to see God? That's going to be determined by what you allow into your heart. And so tonight we cover a very important topic, yet a sensitive topic, that's directly correlated to the heart. And Jesus now begins to teach about the topics of adultery and sexual sin. Now, for those of you who are members of Refuge Church, or at least have joined our email list, if you haven't, um, it's going to go on the screen. It's info at refugechurchonline.com. You just email us and say, I want to be on the email list, and give us your email address and your name. And if you're watching online, you want to be uh, up to date on the happenings, uh, you can do that. But if you've already done that, you should have already received an email. Hopefully, we're not going to junk mail. Um, because I wanted to make parents and guardians aware of the topic that we're covering tonight. I don't know if anybody stayed home because of the topic, but at least then, if I say a word that you're like, oh, I wish you would have told me, at least now you know. And so uh, the, the, the next topic in the order of what Jesus says in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 is about adultery and sexual sin. Now, for me, some people have asked, does that not make you uncomfortable? Listen, I, taught, I, I, I went to Bible college, and they didn't teach you a lot of things, and then you started pastoring. And the things you hear sometimes are just a little bit shocking. So I would say that there are, is next to nothing that makes me feel uncomfortable. My goal tonight is just to try and choose my words wisely because I understand we're in mixed company and young children. But for me, this is all, if, especially if the Bible covers it, I'm not going to shy away from it. And so um, seeing it's Family Wednesday, I almost, I contemplated, as I said in the letter, if you received it, and I, and I thought, man, maybe we'll just skip topics, take them out of order, and I'll do this next week when I just have adults upstairs. Um, but I'm very hesitant to skip topics that the Bible specifically covers. And especially a topic that is bombarding our children and our society on a regular basis, and it's, it's, see, sexual sin and fornication is something that's widespread. Society is accepting it. They say it's natural. Hollywood portrays it. Billboards parade it. Songs lay tracks about it, and impurity is at the fingertips of everyone sitting here with an electronic device today. So you better believe that we are fighting every single day for the purity and the innocence of our children. And I'll continue to fight. My kids don't always like when I fight things. But I will fight for their innocence. And I will fight for their purity. I will guard as much as I can as long as I can. But at some point, I won't be able to guard everything. My kids are going to come across things that are impure and unholy. It's going to happen. If you drive down the road, you're going to see a billboard that's impure and unholy. Now, if you notice the billboard, that's not sin. You can't, you can't beat yourself up because you saw something. But I can keep myself from looking back multiple times. 
And so I want them to understand what the Lord says about impurity and sexual sin. And this is why I sent the email so anybody uncomfortable can choose to stay at home. But I'm not going to be discussing the topic in graphic detail. I am going to cover what the Bible says while still aiming to be appropriate for mixed genders and children. Um, I will say this. I wish so bad that this is the first time that our kids will hear these terms used. I wish. I wish that was the case. But it's not. Chances are all of our children have already heard these terms and probably from a secular point of view. And so tonight, week three of Life Principles According to Jesus, the title is Consecrated to Purity. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, thank you so very much, Lord, for what you are doing, what you have done, what you're going to do. God, you're, you're, you're just great and greatly to be praised, Lord. Your word right now, tonight, it's powerful, it's alive, it's rich. But Jesus, we need our hearts and minds to be open to what it is that you want to say and do and speak and accomplish. So God, I pray here tonight, Father, that you would please have your way, that you would touch every man, woman, child, in person, online. God, that your word would not come back void, but it would accomplish what it desires to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. So consecrated, that's a big word that some people might not know what that is. Consecrated means to make or declare something sacred or special. So tonight we're going to be talking about declaring our purity and sexuality as something that is sacred and special. The Bible says we should glorify God with our bodies. How do I glorify God with my body? And remaining pure is one of the greatest ways that we can do this. This is not a message you're going to hear much in the world anymore. I grew up in a world where it said virgin. It's not a dirty word. It's, that's, not a, that's not a slogan anymore. Um, but at the end of our lesson last week, Jesus had just gotten done talking about leaving your sacrifice at the altar and going and finding someone to deal with bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and it's not many times we read that Jesus will say to leave your sacrifice or your worship at the altar and go handle something. Usually he's trying to get us to an altar. He tells them to leave the altar. And immediately after that, he, he now looks at this gathering of people. And in verse 27, he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Now, just for understanding, adultery refers to sexual activity between where, where, where at least one person is married and it's with someone that is not your spouse. You're not married to that person. And fornication is, it happens when there's sexual activity between two people or that, they're, that are unmarried. They're, they're not married. And so he says, you must not commit adultery. He says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust. Now, you could put woman or man there. He's probably teaching to a pretty large group of, of men, but no doubt some women there too. So looks at a man or a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than to lose your whole body in hell. Then he says if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better you lose one part of your body than to have your whole body be thrown into hell. Th those scriptures freaked me out growing up. Because God created a young man to really find young women attractive. Is there any young men who have ever found a woman attractive? Some of the younger guys are like, is this okay? Can I, I, I don't, uh, 
Is this all right? Guys, you're in the youth group. For the, for the love of God, you, if you found ladies attractive, raise your hand up, okay? <laughs> if you all are here and you ain't finding any women attractive, you're in the wrong session. And I remember seeing, like, women, I'd be like, you know, like, oh, she, oh, she was, she was very attractive. And I'm like, oh, no, do I need to gouge my eye out now? <laughs> you know, like, it's kind of scary, kind of scary language, you know. You've heard it said, he's most likely talking about the Pharisees here. But God made you, if you're a young man, you're going to find women attractive. If you're a young woman, you're going to find men attractive. It's, it, God made you that way. There's nothing wrong with that. And so, the law of Moses was a strict set of 613 commandments that were, would aim to align the people of God to be good people. But Jesus comes and he says, I'm the fulfillment of the law. And he was trying to point out that the law itself, it was never going to be good enough. That, that the law cannot monitor the heart. So you can look the part and come to church and give and serve ministry, but your heart can still be wrong. And so Jesus wants... Uh, them and us to look at our hearts and, and to understand that there are certain things that there are heart issues. And he was really trying to get people ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh that would come after his resurrection and then ascension into heaven. This is why the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel prophesied about the future outpouring of the Spirit. He says, God will give you a new heart in Ezekiel 36. And so when the disciples of Jesus started following Jesus, he immediately says, starts discussing discussing sexual sin with them. Interesting. After the Beatitudes, which give us an overall snapshot of kind of the world that the Lord wants to establish here, the, the, the spiritual climate that he wants here on earth, the first two specific topics that Jesus covers after the Beatitudes, you know what they are? Bitterness and, 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 and forgiveness and sexual sin. Which I find it so interesting because to this very day, two of the greatest things that I see trip up church, members church leaders, are bitterness, unforgiveness, and sexual sin. Even church leadership. I got bitter, someone offended me, I got angry, something in the organization, or I got to the place where there was so much power and, oh yes, that I thought these things would never touch me. Jesus is not literally telling us to cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes, so don't be afraid. These are graphic images that he uses as a teacher to emphasize a radical separation from sin. The irony here is that cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye still would not take care of the heart issue. So the irony in what he said there, we could go through these radical steps and cut off a hand and an eye and gouge out an eye and still deal with sin in the heart. Jesus knew the power of sexual sin. And guess what? So does the devil. This is why we have to guard our eyes and guard our hearts. Again, let me emphasize, God made a young man, God, not young man, old man, any man to notice an attractive woman. God made women to notice men who are sweet and kind and, and attractive. But God if these things are done outside of God's plan for marriage, meaning sexual pursuit, then it's going to result in all kinds of pain, 
guilt and confusion. So if you're a young man or a young woman here today and you feel bad because you, you saw an image or, or a person of an opposite gender that you liked, you don't have to feel bad about that. God made you that way. But it's important that we do not make choices to feed sinful thoughts because we have to guard our eyes and our mind. This is why we have to be intentional about what we put before our eyes. And that's every realm. That's TV shows. That's movies, TikToks. Is that what they're called? YouTube videos. Dude, don't even throw me out there like that. I almost said MySpace and repeated what somebody said, and then every person on live stream would have cut off and went somewhere else. <laughs> These things can fan a flame of sinful desire rather than a desire for God. YouTube, you could be watching this service on YouTube right now. The, the medium itself is not sinful. But you have to be careful because that can easily become sinful based on what you're tapping and watching and looking at. And so you can't help seeing something that appeals to you. Oh, I passed a billboard and that appealed to me. I saw a, a person jogging and, and, and it was a nice looking female and I looked or that man had his shirt out. Oh, man. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't do anything about that. But to go, then all of a sudden now I'm entering the realm of, what something could be sinful. Even in Bible times, we read about great people of God making covenants or promises about what they looked at and watched. David said, I will set no evil thing before mine eyes. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look at a woman with lust. I made a covenant with my eyes. It's interesting. They may not have, I don't think they had TikTok and Facebook. Because no doubt the video would still exist of David. And now I'm grabbing five smooth stones. Hey, sh shoot this for me. I'm about to see something awesome. <laughs> By now it would have like 300 billion views. But even though they didn't have that, the battle never changes in humanity. Right after Adam and Eve, sin entered the world, and one of the first things that happens after sin enters the world, you know what the first thing is that they notice? Their nakedness. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes were immediate consequences of sin in the world. And there was now a feeling of guilt and condemnation that was associated with nakedness and sexuality. But Paul later teaches that it's normal and healthy when you're married to someone until then there has to be safeguards and boundaries in place. We must be like Job and David and make promises to ourselves and others about what to watch, places we go, situations we allow ourselves to be in. And I know I'm speaking maybe a little bit on an elementary level because I understand there's people here with Family Wednesday. But I don't care if you're 4 or 44 or 74. These topics are relevant to every single one of us. And so even after Jesus lays out these guidelines for his disciples, he starts here and emphasizes this. In spite of his teachings, though, it did not take long for his disciples to drop the ball. And so many years later, not too many years later, the Apostle Paul deals with sexual sin and fornication in a specific church. 
in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church. He starts a letter to them, and he gets to the fifth chapter where we have it here in, in this letter, and, and he says, I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you. Back then, they'd write a letter to the church, and then they'd read it. Could you imagine being the Corinthian church and like, I'm just here to read Paul's letter to you? All right, guys, here's what Paul said. I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. I wonder if they're doing like society would do today. Like, You're so proud of yourselves. But you should be in mourning and sorrow and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. See, there was sexual sin in the Corinthian church, and they were seemingly, based on what we're reading, they're just ignoring it. So Paul deals with it publicly. So come back Sunday, I'm going to be dealing with sins publicly. No, I'm just kidding. Paul goes on to say in verse 9, he says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheap people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that because sin is everywhere. You're in a sinful world. Paul specifically says, because, you know, naysayers, oh, what are we supposed to do? Just stop talking to everybody. He addresses it. I'm not talking about all the rest of the world. You can't leave the world. That's everywhere. Isn't it interesting? Here in the first century, it was still everywhere. The world's gotten so bad today. Listen, read the Bible. In some ways, they were more messed up than anything we deal with today. And he says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy, worships idols, abusive, drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Yikes. He clearly states he wasn't talking about the sin of the world. He's talking about believers who were openly accepting sin in the church. You see, in the Greco-Roman world where they were living, there was a sexual freedom. Everything was about experience. It was open. Homosexuality was widely accepted in that culture. Boy, some of this stuff, it sounds so familiar. But God expected. He did not look at the Greco-Roman culture of the first century and say, well, I understand culture's changing. You know, the, the education systems of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, they're, you know, I, I guess we can just kind of go with the flow here. He looks at a church that is clearly living in the middle of sin. Sexual sin was everywhere. Paul's writing about it. He says you can't leave the world. It's everywhere. But God still has a standard of consecration and purity. Even though they lived in a sex-driven culture, God expected purity from his people. And Paul had to clarify uh, from the word of God to let believers know, no matter what is going on in society, no matter what is accepted by the general public, no matter what sins are tolerated, God demands separation and consecration. 
And that's not just in church attendance ministry, but also glorifying God in our bodies, which is even in sexuality and relationships. So Paul makes it clear. He goes in, on in verse chapter 6, verse 9. He says, don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're a Bible believer, it doesn't matter what society is saying. How can you make exceptions and delete things off of that list because society doesn't no it doesn't it no longer buys that If it's on the list it's still sin But Paul says some of you were once like that but you were cleansed you were made holy you were made right by God with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God these were people who were spirit-filled. Spirit, they, 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 they had experienced the Spirit of God. Now, many of you here or watching online, you may have been one of the things on that list. When you read this list and you say, he says people who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, abusive, cheaters... No doubt that I'm talking to, a, I am talking to a group of people who we probably all could say, I, I was one or two of the things on that list. So thank God we don't have to be a church just of perfect people. But he says, but some of you were that way. But thank God, what, we went down in the waters of baptism? We were filled with the Spirit of God? We found a place of repentance? He set us free. So Paul is writing to a church that was accepting a person or people who were openly sinning and aligning with culture rather than the way of God. So Paul is, is celebrating the fact that God delivers from sin, but he was also reminding of the fact that you can't just continue living this way. And so here, this church is preaching and teaching, and experiences are happening where people are being baptized and filled with the Spirit. Obviously, he's saying, such were some of you. You've been washed. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. Praise God. But he says, but we've been set free. We've been delivered. These, this way of life won't inherit God's kingdom. So we thank God for what he's done but we don't just keep going back to this way of life. And so Christians sometimes get bashed that like we're all against homosexuality. Yeah, you're just, I wouldn't even be welcome that. Man, are you kidding me? I'm against every sin on the list. But do we welcome Cheaters and homosexuals and idol worshipers and adulterers and, and prostitutes and thieves and greedy people and drunkards into this sanctuary. My God, I hope they come in every single Sunday. Lord, please, my God, I bring them in every single Sunday. 
Because why? I want to be able to baptize them and see God fill them with His Spirit and deliver them just like He delivered me and you and so many other believers across the world. So this is not narrowing down on one sin. All of the sins God wants to deliver us from. And so Paul goes on because the Corinthian church obviously had some real problems. And he says in verse 15, he says, don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man, you know, in Romans it says when you're baptized, you're buried with him in baptism. You're born into Christ. The Bible talks being grafted into this tree. We are now the arms and legs of Jesus Christ. And he says, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Look what it says. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, notice, again, man, women, this is, they didn't use gender neutral language back here in King James writing. But you could say if a person joins themselves, himself or herself, he becomes one body. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then look at this, guys. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. There are not many things in the Bible. There are not many things in the Bible that God says to run from. Typically, he says, stand strong. Don't be afraid. Pray without ceasing. Don't waver. And we get this picture of putting on the armor of God and drawing a line and standing strong, Naboth fighting for the vineyard. I mean, like, ah! And you get to sexual sin, and God says, uh, yeah, Paul, you know what I want you to tell him? Just tell him this. Run! And how do I have a feeling that was my son? (laughs) Hey, if that just worked for him, praise the mighty God. (laughs) I pray he, every time he hears run in his head. This is how we need to think of sexual sin. I pray that image is burned into your mind. Because that is exactly what you need to think of sexual sin. Does it mean that you have to run from being attracted to someone or even run from the topic of sex itself? No. At at the right time and place, it's going to be a beautiful thing. But before marriage, it is something that will destroy your life. I've always heard that example of the fireplace. I have a fireplace in my house, and I love it. I love it. I love to put one on and crank it up. Got that gas start. It gets the wood going. Turn it off. It smells great. Sounds great. It warms the house. I love it. Fire in the fireplace is beautiful. It's great. Now, if I take that exact same fireplace and, and, and the fire and the wood and just take four steps back and put it on my living room floor, 
Is it beautiful anymore? It's going to burn the whole house down. Well, I've been, we've been dating for a while. You ain't married yet. Don't take the fire out the fireplace and put it on the living room floor. It'll mess up your whole life. Some of the strongest men in the Bible all did so well except for sexual sin. The guy who said, I'm the strongest man alive, Samson. They wrote that before I came along, so just be patient. Samson, strongest man alive. He's like, yeah, I just, they locked me in. I ripped the city gates off the hinges. I killed so many people with the jawbone of a donkey. I just, yeah, man, it's just anybody mess with me. I just tore him up. And then even after sin, I put my hands between pillars and just took a building down. And that guy could just take down anybody or anything, but he couldn't conquer his own sinful desires. Oh, you a strong man. You can, you can whoop everybody, but you can't control yourself. So he lost out everything with God. And maybe Jesus, maybe there was some insinuation that it would be better to gouge your eyes out. Because Samson was the one that gets his eyes gouged out by the Philistines. And so Samson, he loses out. David, the guy that says, I'll put no evil thing before my eye. He stays back from the battle one day and watches a woman bathe. He could have walked away. He couldn't do anything about it. Oh, wow, looks good, but I'm going to get out of here. No, he stays and says, hey, somebody go get her for me. Isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly what Samson said to his parent. I've ah, seen a Philistine. I like, go get her for me. When the flesh sees something it wants, if you don't fast and deny flesh, it gets to the point where it just says, I want more. I want more. Go get it for me. I want more. And then you have Solomon, wisest man to ever live. Knew how to solve everybody's problems except for the problem of his own heart. And three of the, three of the strongest men in the Bible, they fell because they played with fire. They were tempted and they didn't walk away. Is temptation wrong? Is temptation sin? Not at all. You're going to be tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. You're going to be tempted. You're going to find things attractive. You're going you're to feel a desire to go do something that's outside the realm of, of God's will. You're going to be tempted to look twice. You're going to be tempted to do something you shouldn't do. But how you respond in the moment of temptation is what dictates your future. And so there has to be safeguards. There has to be things that we do that say, I'm not going to let myself get to that point. So I'm talking to some of you, especially that are single, that are thinking about dating and things. There has to be safeguards. There has to be boundaries that you say, I'm not going to trust this flesh. I've read too much about it in the Old Testament. I've read too much about it. About, about, about some of the people who have fallen. I mean, after all, he says, take heed that you think you stand lest you fall. I mean, I, I, lest I preach to everybody else and I myself am a castaway. I mean, you read scriptures, you say, there's too much in here. That I know I need to set up safeguards for myself. 
So if there's an issue on the computer, you don't go on the computer at 2 in the morning by yourself in your room. And I talked about this last week, just so you, you children, you, that you know what I told your parents. Don't be mad at them. Be mad at me. I told your parents and guardians that there is no way on God's green earth that you should have an electronic device in your bedroom. Now, their parents, they get to choose what they want to do. People say it's a cult because everybody listens to you. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But if you are giving your kids to the keys to the superhighway of the, the, the Internet with no seatbelts, you're crazy. I mean, you're crazy. And I mean that with all due respect. Man, there's some youth glaring at me right now. One of them might even be my daughter, but I don't have to look that way. But you know what? There has to be boundaries. There has to be things that say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let myself. When you are in a relationship, now I've got to be careful. You don't go to a park and hang out in a parked car at one in the morning by yourself with no one in the car. Because yeah, when you start saying, you know, it's probably a good time to come up with some boundaries for where our relationship is going to be. That's desperate. There has to be things in your heart that you say, I don't trust my flesh enough. Why? Because you get alone with someone of the opposite gender and you're by yourselves late at night in a dark place. Every human being, they go to the same thing. So you know what we say as godly people? I don't let myself get to that point. I'm not going to be in a place by myself. In the, any, any single person, I don't care if you're 14 or if you're back here thinking this is all for the kids. There's no human being that's single on the face of the earth that you should be in your house alone with someone of the opposite sex. I don't care how old you are. Because it never changes. The temptation remains the same. So we set up safeguards. I knew I was, I thought, I, I knew tonight, I thought, if I get three amens, I'm doing well. There they are, thank you. But somewhere along the line, you look at Samson, David, and Solomon. One had strength, one had power, one had wealth and wisdom. And somewhere along the line, they all lost integrity. They figured it would never happen to them. So they removed the safeguards and they put themselves in a precarious position and said, I think, I think I'm strong enough to handle it. See, for those of you, youth and children, your parents can only protect you so long at some point you're going to make your own choices and you're going to have to decide, what am I strong enough to do and not do? But it's not wise to test the flesh and see, oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I'm walking into the bars to reach my friends. Bad idea. Because there's no need to, I, I'm not going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove every single, every single potential pitfall in my path. 
Why does Paul tell us to run? The Bible says in that verse, go back to that verse, please. Verse, uh, that last verse we just read, verse 18. He tells us that to run because no other sin, hear me, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. You guys can laugh at me all you want. The meme circulates. Here it goes again. Wrong relationships can mess up your life faster than drugs or alcohol. Because it's intoxicating to have somebody pursue you and touch you and kiss you and, oh, I want to be by you. And you just, and, 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 and it, it does all these things to your body and to your psyche and to your emotions. And so we say, oh, I'm, I'm willing to just everything I've heard preach, I'm just going to set it aside. I'm going to, I think I'm going to be better. I think I can handle it. I'm walking in with a good, clear conscience in mind, and I have good intentions. You think that you're the first person to go through this? Make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill the lust thereof. We're just going back to my house to watch a movie. We're just going back to my... What good comes out of two people who like each other and find each other attractive sitting behind closed doors in their house? Well, where are you supposed to get to know them? See me after, after church. I'll give you a million. We'll, we'll cover Starbucks, Caribou Coffee, out to dinner, restaurants, bike rides, parks. We'll go through the whole gamut. Go see a play. Go do a breakout room. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of great stuff. My poor kids. <laughs> Wrong relationships. Mess it up so fast because people walk in with good intentions, but by the time they realize it, oh, yeah, but when you smoke, you get addicted to the nicotine. Yeah, but by the time you, you realize, oh, no, you're already in love or in lust with the person to the point where now you're going, do I choose ministry or this? Do I choose my relationship with God or this? Do I just... And then you get married, and then there's the fights. And, or maybe you don't get married, and the fight's about, are you coming to church? No, you promised me you were going to go to church, and now there's a kid. And, and well, I, I wanna, he doesn't have to go to church if he doesn't want to. What? This is reality. This is principles for life. Make a commitment to purity and consecration. Guard your heart. Don't let lust rule and reign. tell you just sheer statistics alone we had a great church but we didn't always have straightforward conversations like this and some of you I'm sure you just love it and thank you it's wonderful I'm glad you like it and some of you are like why is he covering that I wish we'd had more because I went to a youth group of about 130 people in our youth group. And when I think back to how many still serve God. How many made choices. In dark parks and 
and two in the morning. How many people who had a call to ministry on their lives? One of my best friends in the world. Had four children with multiple women, and all he does now is work a job to pay child support. That's it. And he had a mighty call of God on his life. You guys, make, we laugh about the memes, but I'm passionate about this because so many people close to me who should have been so much more traded it all in. Can God still deliver and bring back? Absolutely. If you're here today and you're an adult and you're like, I haven't always made bad choices, those are no hope for me. Listen, such were some of you. We've been washed and cleansed and filled with the Spirit. God can change your any situation. But you know what happens a lot of times is people that say, I should have known better. They don't feel like they can make their way back. But they can. But they don't feel like they can because the guilt and the condemnation that comes, especially with the sin of sexuality. And, and well, sexuality itself is not sin, but the sin of fornication and adultery. And so Jesus addresses this one, right, right, he, um, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, and he calls them. But now let's talk about bitterness and unforgiveness, and let's talk about adultery and sex, because these are two things. If you're going to do my work, you better believe that these things are going to be always present. And especially when you start doing signs, wonders, and miracles, walking on water, crowds coming, multiplying globes and fish, you get to the point where God starts flowing through you so much that you almost start to think you're invincible. And that's why you'll hear of men and women of God falling and making poor choices because somewhere along the line, God flows them through them so mightily for so long that they removed the safeguards and thought that they were above falling. So I'm talking to people that, based on sheer numbers alone, if we just went by statistics, just the t statistics, not every one of you are going to raise your families in this church. Now, do I believe statistics can be wrong? Absolutely. And me and our Sunday school teachers and you workers, we're going for every one of you. Every one of you. But at some point, every person, old and young, children's ministry, youth, you're going to make your own decision. But what you watch, what you search, what you listen to, places you put yourself in, places you go, the people you pursue, the people you allow to pursue you. It's not like we're getting married. I mean, we've just been talking back and forth. Why in the world are you feeding something in connection with someone that is totally not the will? Well, what if it is the will of God? God's not going to send you someone of the opposite sex that does not love him like you do, and that's going to be a weight on you instead of encouragement to you. And so, I speak this message as I begin to, to bring this to a close. And I challenge everybody. No doubt some children are going to, 
are going to hear this. Some adults are going to hear this. I would say that the group that probably is going to be most impacted by this is our youth group. But that being said, when it comes to fornication and adultery, make no mistake, every single person in this place, the devil wants nothing more than to get you off track. I can't tell you in 12 years, almost 12 years of pastoring here, how many single individuals were here loving, serving God, on fire for God. And the one thing, the one and only thing that pulled them out of this church, and they, they no longer attend it, they no longer worship, is that someone came into their life who pulled their attention off of growing with God and onto growing with them, and they were not interested in growing with them. And if you're married, oh, well, you know, we're good, we're good. I don't care who you are. There is nothing more than the devil would like to see than to destroy your marriage. Because typically, again, statistics, if he can get your marriage to be destroyed, that will roll over, and the, the effects of that will roll over into several generations down the road. And so you better believe, well, you know, we had this work meeting, and she just wanted me to give her a ride home, so I get, I'm sorry, I'm chivalrous, I'll pay for an Uber for you. This has got to be the most important thing that we set up safeguards. Well, I think I'd be fine. Don't, don't give the flesh an inch. I got a meeting at the church. If my wife can't come, she's doing something, guess what? Secretary's getting a call. Somebody in church is getting a call. If you're a female, you're not meeting in this church with me by myself. It's not that I don't trust you. It's not that I don't trust me. It's just, it's wisdom. Not going to happen. Why? Because there's safeguards there. Because I'm not going to give the flesh an inch. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. This is the type of message where there's not shout and there's not amens. There's not, and I get it. I get it. But it's the message that could very well dictate the rest of your life. Because you're going to make decisions right now about who you're going to let into your life. Who you're going to date. Who you're going to give your number to. Where are you going to spend time with people? And that's every age. But their choices, their commitments, there's consecrations that'll be made tonight. Then when you come to an altar here in just a minute, you'll, you'll commit to some things. You'll consecrate in some areas. You'll pray and you'll kind of look introspectively and say, all right, Lord, where should I, where should I draw my lines? What are some things that I'm going to do and not do? And because you look how Paul ends this portion. He says, don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. One of the reasons God calls us to purity is not because he wants to, not only because he wants to protect us from pain and heartache, 
but also because he wants us to honor him with our bodies. And he has every right to make that request because he purchased our bodies and our lives on the cross. And so today, church, society is pushing a narrative. Feed your flesh, enjoy life, experience sexual freedom, experiment however you want. It's really no doubt, no, no different than how it was in Greco-Roman culture of Paul's day. But God still demands purity, commitment, consecration. And if you're living in sexual sin here today or watching online, like Paul, I call on you to just repent. You will find God will forgive you. He'll wash away your sins. He'll fill you with the Spirit. He'll refill you with the Spirit. And if you're not living that way, then make a covenant today to remain pure, consecrated, committed, holy. Because once you offer, make certain decisions, you can never go back. So don't place your temple, God's temple, in harm's way. I invite us all to stand today. And I invite you to just begin to, wherever it is, across the altar in your pew, to begin to make an altar. To begin to take to, to God some things. Some of us, it's, it's God forgive me, look at what I've been living. Some of it's, God, I'm, I'm approaching this season of my life. God, I need to make commitments and con I, need, I need consecration. I need some boundary markers. God, I need some things that I'm never going to, they're not going to be up for debate. And so I just invite you right now to begin to talk to God about these things and to begin to really prepare in your heart, what will you allow? What will you not allow? Jesus, speak to us. God, help us. There's a generation here, Lord, that I want, I want to see them raise their children here. I want to see, I want to be able to dedicate their children in this place. God, help us, I pray today, to be completely sanctified, set apart for you. Guard our hearts, guard our minds. Lord, help us, I pray, Jesus. Speak to us, God. Lord, help our young children and help our youth, Lord Jesus, to be committed. Help our single adults, help our married adults, God, to guard ourselves against the sins of fornication and adultery, Jesus. The world is saying experience, it's open, have fun. But God, that's, that's a narrative that's not in your book, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray today. I pray, Lord God, put a hedge of protection around us. Help us to make good choices, God, to draw good boundaries in our lives, God. God.